And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I shared a story with you last year that is worth repeating, but I want to give you a little bit of background if I can. It was about 20 years ago. It was in a field outside of Memphis, Tennessee. Thousands of college students had gathered for a worship celebration. The weather was horrible. It was raining. The wind was blowing. And when the speaker got up to speak, the preacher got up to preach, a big gust of wind came and blew his notes off of the podium. After he regained his composure, this is what he said. Three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Then he said this, Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 herself, and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed on their car, and the car went over the cliff. They were both killed instantly. And he said, then I asked my people, were their lives wasted? Is their story nothing but a sad tragedy of two older ladies who wasted their lives in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time? And then he pulled out a page from a travel magazine, and he read this. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59, she was 51. Now they live in Ponte Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. He continued, the American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. Lord, look at my seashells. Then he said this, people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to accept that tragic dream. Today, I'm here to plead with you, don't buy it, don't waste your life. The preacher that day was John Piper, and the sermon he preached came to be known as the Seashell Sermon, and it eventually turned into a book, Don't Waste Your Life. And the question I have for each and every one of us this morning is this. When we come to the end of our life and we're standing before our Creator, our God, will we look back and say we have wasted our life or will we say that we have invested our life? Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're we're picking up in verse 14. We've got one more week in the book of Romans after today. And and we've been going through this book since about September, August of last year. So let me just give you a recap. 
Paul begins this letter by telling us that we are all guilty before God. We've all sinned, we've all rebelled against God, and because of that we are deserving of death and eternal punishment. But because God is a God of love and a God of grace, God has poured out his love and grace upon us, and he has offered us a gift, a gift of eternal life, forgiveness for our sins. And if we accept that gift through the power of his Holy Spirit, he makes us a new person. His Spirit comes into us and makes us brand new. The old things die. Everything becomes new. And then we got into Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's kind of this segue in the book where Paul talks about a tension that exists when it comes to salvation. A tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And Paul tells us that both of those things are equal truths found in Scripture. And what we need to understand is this side of eternity, our finite minds will never completely understand how God's sovereignty and man's free will work together. They coexist, but they do. And then in chapter 12, we moved into this last section of the book where we are told that God transforms us so that he can use us to be transformers in our world. And so if your Bibles are open to Romans 15, I want you to follow along as we begin to read in verse 14. Paul says, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things as so well you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points knowing that you all need this as a reminder. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me and my service to God. Yet, I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I've been fully, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricium. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in Scriptures where it says, those who have never heard, um, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. But now I've finished my work, in these regions, and and after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to visit you. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to, to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles receive the spiritual blessing of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. 
As soon as I have delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. And I'm sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I am taking to Jerusalem. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart and we will be an encouragement to each other. And now, may God who gives us his peace be with you all. Amen. And in these verses, I believe that Paul gives us three things that you and I need to do if we want to come to the end of our life and be able to say we've invested our life rather than wasted our life. The first thing he tells us that we need to do is we need to share boldly. We need to make it a priority of our life that we share the gospel, the good news, with everyone we can. Paul says in, in verse 20, my ambition, my aim, my goal has always been to preach the good news for the name of Jesus has never been heard. Now, if you were with us back in the, in the fall when we were going through our Beyond campaign, the theme verse of that Beyond campaign was found in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 16 which says this, then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. You see, Paul's personal call from God was to go to places where Christ had not been heard of and share with those people the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul even said in verse 22, the reason that he had not yet visited them in Rome is because he was preaching in all of those places. Now what you need to understand is this. Not everyone has the same calling. But we do all have the same responsibility. We all have the responsibility to share the gospel with the world in which we live wherever God plants us. We see that throughout the New Testament. Peter was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. God never called him to go on missionary journeys. Apollos was someone who watered the work that Paul planted. He said, Paul said, I watered, Apollos planted, but God gave the increase. Apollos was one who came along and he built the church that Paul had planted. There were other people throughout the New Testament that we discover had different gifts. They had different callings, but they were all sharing the gospel, the good news, boldly. Now, let me ask you a question. What is your ambition? What is your aim? What is your goal in life? And how does your ambition, your aim, your goal line up with God's ambition? God's aim for eternity. You see, the question we need to be asking is not, where does God fit into my story? But rather, what we need to be asking is, how does my story fit in with God's story. That's what Paul was always asking. He realized that his story was just a small part of God's greater story of sharing the gospel with the world. When Paul finally made it to Rome, Paul didn't make it walking as a free man. Paul made it as a prisoner 
in chains. And tradition tells us that he never left Rome. He was eventually put to death there. And Paul knew. He knew that that was always a possibility. He knew that he may be put to death. And yet that never kept him from going to places and sharing the gospel with every person he could. Because he knew his story was part of God's story of sharing the gospel with the world. For Paul, nothing was more important than the gospel. When Paul was was talking to the leaders in Ephesus before he went to Jerusalem and eventually was arrested and taken to Rome, this is what he said to those leaders in the church at Ephesus. He said, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. Listen to what Paul's message was. The necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God, and having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our message. We tell people to repent of sin, turn to God, and place your faith in Jesus. And then Paul went on to say this. He said, my life is worth nothing to me Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And then Paul made a bold statement. Paul said, if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. Did you hear that? He was so bold, so brazen, that he told these leaders in Ephesus, if anyone in Ephesus suffers eternal death, if anyone goes to hell in Ephesus, it's not my fault. And then he said, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Let me ask you a question. Can you say that about your life? Can you say that about where you are planted? Can can you honestly stand before other people and one day stand before God and say there is no one in my sphere of influence that is going to hell because of me? Have we been that upfront? Have we been that open with sharing the gospel? That's our calling. That's our aim. You want to eradicate poverty. You want to extend human rights. You want to find a cure for cancer. All those things are good and noble and worthy callings. But I want you to understand that as a Christian, a follower of Jesus who believes the Bible, we have one aim, one goal, one ambition that trumps every other one. And that's taking the gospel, the good news, to the world. God says, I don't want anyone to perish everyone to come to repentance. And so if God says that about everyone in the world, then you and I better take that seriously. Then in Romans 15, Paul tells us a little bit about how he did evangelism. There are two things that I think you need to know in regard to sharing the gospel. First of all, he tells us that he relied on God's power, not his own. Paul knew that that people come to faith in Christ not based upon his own intellect, not based on his eloquence, not based on his persuasive arguments. People come to faith in Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I are simply instruments. You and I are simply conduits that God uses to share the gospel. 
but it is the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us and working in the people we are sharing with that bring people to faith. So don't think it's up to you. It's not. We're called to be faithful. We are called to share. But God is the one who saves. And second, Paul tells us here that he shared the whole gospel. Now, now what does that mean? He didn't leave anything out. He, he tells us that in Acts. He told people that they had to repent of sin. There is no salvation apart from repenting, turning from sin. He told people that they had to turn to God and place their faith in Jesus. Salvation comes when we come to that realization in our life that we're sinners and we no longer want to live under the control of sin and we turn from sin. We turn to God and we place our faith in Jesus. That's the gospel we are to share. Now God doesn't ask all of us to be missionaries. God doesn't ask all of us to be church planners. But God does ask each and every one of us to be witnesses. And he has placed in each and every one of our past people who have not heard the gospel message. There are people in, in our neighborhood. There are people who we work with. There are people that we go to school with. There are friends of our kids. There are people at the ball field that have not yet heard the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's up to us to share that gospel. They are our mission field. We are their missionaries. Our job is to share the truth of the gospel with everyone in the mission field that God has given us. So let me ask you a couple of questions. One, when was the last time you shared the gospel? Not invite someone to church. Not post a cute Bible verse on social media. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? If the gospel is the only way to salvation, then when's the last time you shared? Second, do you know how to share? I mean, do you know how to sit down with someone and take them through the gospel and lead them to a moment of decision where they can trust in Jesus? And third, if you don't, what are you willing to do to equip yourself to do that? You see, if I want a life that is invested and not wasted, I need to give my life sharing the gospel. The second thing Paul says in this section of Scripture is that we not only need to share boldly, we need to give sacrificially. He says that in verses 25 through 27. He says, but before I come... I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessing of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. Now, Paul talks about this in detail in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And he tells us something about these believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He tells us that these weren't wealthy believers. These weren't even comfortable believers. These were believers that were experiencing persecution. These were believers that were living in extreme poverty. These were believers that were dirt poor. And yet Paul tells us in the letter to the Corinthians that they begged to give. 
And then when they gave, they didn't just give what they could give. The Bible says they gave over that amount. They gave more than they could give. You see, when we give to the point that we give up a luxury, or we give to the point that we give up a convenience, that's noble. That's a good thing. We're doing without something we want. Now, now let me just say to you, for all of my life, I've given that way. And, and even today, with our Beyond campaign, I mean, my wife and I, because of the stage of life we're in, we have no debt. We're able to give more than we have ever given before. We're giving over a third of our income back to the Lord. But let me tell you, I'm not doing without any necessities. There may be some things that I would like to use that money to buy that I haven't bought, but it's not things that I need. It's things that I might want. It's things that I might like. But you see, when we give to the point that we are doing without things we need to survive, when we give to the point that we are doing without things we need to exist, when we give to the point that we may have to give up a meal, we have to give up buying new clothes, we may have to give up a nicer house or whatever else to, to provide for our family, that's when we begin to give sacrificially. And that's what the churches in Macedonia and Achaia were doing. And i got to tell you, that takes faith. And probably hardly any of us in this room have ever given that way where we sacrificed to the point that we gave up things we needed for the sake of the gospel. I want to encourage you sometime this week to just take a, a moment or two and look at your giving and see whether you're really even giving up anything, much less any necessities of life. Because if you want your life to be invested and not wasted you not only share the gospel boldly, you give sacrificially. But there's a third thing Paul says here, and that's this. If we want to invest our life, we need to pray diligently. Listen to what he says in verse 30. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. And that word translated struggle there. In the Greek could be translated agony. Paul said, I want you to join me in my agony of prayer. Has anybody ever tried to get you to start praying by telling you, I want you to know prayer is an agonizing thing. And yet that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying prayer is hard work. Prayer is demanding. Prayer is difficult. Why do you think it's so hard for us to do it? It's not just that we don't have the time to do it. The reason it is so hard is because prayer, real prayer, prayer that changes things is demanding and agonizing. And Paul says, will you join me in this? One translation says, will you be my prayer partners. You see, Paul recognized the struggle, the battle that he was in for the souls of people, and he knew the power of prayer. That's why he asked the church at Rome, the, the Romans who were believers, to pray with him. And he did that almost everywhere he went. 
We see him asking the Corinthian believers, the, the Ephesian believers, the Thessalonian believers, the Colossian believers. Almost everywhere he went, in every letter that he wrote, he was begging those believers, join me in prayer. And so let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Are you satisfied with your prayer life? I mean, if you really do believe that prayer has the ability to influence decisions in heaven, if you really do believe that prayer changes things, if you really do believe that prayer is the hope for our nation, if you really do believe that prayer is the difference between heaven and hell in people's lives, are you satisfied with your prayer life? The Apostle Paul told Timothy, pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that you can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and, and understand the truth. I, I wonder what could happen if God's people begin to pray like that. I wonder what would happen if we really took seriously our call to pray. There's an Old Testament passage that if you grew up in church, you're familiar with. Sometimes we call this verse a recipe for revival. It's found in 2 Chronicles 7:14. But the verse goes like this: If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If my people will humble themselves, realize we can't do it, and pray, realizing our only hope is God, and turn from our sin, God will hear, God will forgive, and God will heal. I got to tell you people, if we want to invest our life, we need to begin sharing the gospel boldly. We need to make the decision to give sacrificially. And we need to pray diligently. After Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl ring, he was being interviewed on 60 Minutes. And when he was being interviewed, the interviewer said, this whole upward trajectory, what, what, what have you learned about yourself? And this is what Tom Brady said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Maybe a lot of people out there would say, hey, man, this is, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, there's got to be more than this. What else is there for me? Then the interviewer, Steve Croft, Ask, and what is the answer? Brady smiled, and then the smile disappeared from his face, and he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. It's tragic. Three Super Bowl rings, married to a model, richer than he ever needs to be. And he's wasting his life. 
compare his life to C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd could have been the Tom Brady of the late 19th century in England. He was one of the best cricket players in England. But at the top of his career, he left the game and became a missionary. At that point in his life, he was a household name in England. Everybody knew him. And so when he left the game and, and went off to China and India to become a missionary to people who have never heard about Jesus, people thought he was crazy. They thought he had lost his mind. And in response to that, he wrote a poem. And the title of the poem is Only One Life. And the poem has about six or seven stanzas. But there are two lines that are repeated over and over in that poem. And the two lines are these. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what we do for Christ will last. Let me ask you a question. When you come to the end of your life and you're standing before your creator, the God who sent his son to die in your place, will you be able to say, I have invested my life for you? Or will you look at him with your head bowed low and say, I've wasted my life? When you come to the end of your life, would you rather be Tom Brady? Would you rather be C.T. Studd? I know who I'd rather be. And I know who I hope you would rather be. I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, there may be some here in this room and some who are watching online who who have never trusted Jesus, never turned from sin. Maybe you've prayed a prayer. Maybe you've gone through some religious rituals like baptism. Maybe you've joined a church, but you know in your heart of hearts that you've never turned from sin, trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit has never made you new. And if you're here and you're listening and you're ready to humble yourself before God and receive Him, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear God, I humbly come before you today acknowledging my sin. I'm a rebel. I've lived life my way. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. God, I believe you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on a cross in my place. I believe he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting Jesus alone to save me. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Make me new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.